Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for this time. We pray that you would speak to each and every one of us, no matter where we are in our relationship and our faith journey. For those of us who walked in and we've been following you for a long time, or for maybe for those of us who walked back into a church for the first time in a long time, or perhaps for the first time ever, that you would speak to each and every one of us today. In your name we pray. Amen. We're going to talk about a subject today that I am um, excited. It's actually going to launch us into, we're going to go through the summertime, um, through the book of Acts again, verse by verse, starting picking up, I think, right at the end of chapter 6, beginning of chapter 7. And uh, when we when we do this, I want this is somewhat of an on-ramp towards that, but as I was thinking and praying about what we're going to spend the next week, few weeks talking about, uh, this was something that I... I was thinking and I was praying and I was like, this is a need that I feel like we have, and specifically a need to talk about something that we don't talk about often um, in church, and that's the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And depending on your background, um, depends on what you think about when you think about that. Uh, for some of you, um, you think about the Holy Spirit. For some people, and if you're from like a, a, a I'm going to say a little bit more of a country background, um, then you don't call it the Holy Spirit, you call it the Holy Ghost. I was talking to somebody who, um, they, they weren't a Jesus follower, um, you know, they work with me, and, and, uh, and I said, you know, we, somehow we got in this conversation about spiritual things, we started talking about the Holy Spirit, and they're like, you talking about the Holy Ghost? I'm like, no, the Holy Spirit, I'm talking about Casper here, right? Um, but, right, different people, different thoughts, different directions, um, and depending, again, on where you're from, some of us, some of us from a background of, of spirituality, uh, where the Holy Spirit was more of an, an intellectual ascent, Right? What we realize is that Jesus' death on the cross paid for our sins, bridged the gap that we could not good ourselves into God's good graces because of that Jesus did when he died on the cross. When he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven and seated at the right hand of God and he sent his son, or I'm sorry, he sent his spirit to indwell inside of us. And we understand that intellectually. But there's not much of an experience of the spirit in our lives. And so we know it, we agree with it, we believe it, but that's about it. And then for some of us, it's kind of the opposite end. One of the things that, from my background, is I went to youth groups on both ends of this spectrum, right? I was raised in a church where um, the Spirit was, you know, basically you just like sat there and sang your hymn, right? But some of you come from a background where like, the Spirit is something that happens when it's going down at worship, Right? In like they were waving flags in the background. Um, somebody was hanging from a chandelier, perhaps. If you're super country, and I have never been to his church like this, and I deeply want to, just to like watch it, a snake handling church, that is bonkers, right? I'm like, I'm not going to participate. I just want to Instagram live it, right? That's all I want to do. I just want to see, because that sounds, you know, wild to me. I've never experienced something like that. Um, but anyways, it, it comes to a degree or to an area where, where it just seems, and you might not say it this way, but it just seems like it's a little bit exacerbated, right? Like everything is the spirit. The paper moved, like, like it's the spirit. It's like, no, I just, that was the AC, you know? It's just somebody breathed on it, you know? Or, you know, I was raising my hand, I got all these chills and these goosebumps, and again, I was like, oh, it's the spirit. It's like, no, again, the AC kicked on. It got cold all of a sudden. You got goosebumps. And we have a difficult time interpreting this idea of the Spirit. But here's what I think almost universally we would probably all agree with. The Spirit of God, if that's true, the same power that that raised Jesus from the dead, that he now sits on his throne in heaven, if that God, if that Spirit is now living inside of me, it seems like, whether I connect these dots or not, it seems like that Spirit 
should be stronger in my life. It seems like it should have more of an influence. And again, a lot of times we equate this with the spirit is, is what happens in, in music and in musical worship and our personal holiness. And it seems like, man, there, there are churches that are spirit-filled churches and we're a spirit-filled church or not a spirit-filled church, depending on your background. And it seems like for some of us, right, if the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, it seems like we should be able to overcome sin a little bit easier than we do. And for some of us, what that leads us to is, well, we don't yet know if we believe in God then. Because if that spirit lives inside of me, if I said, man, the spirit of LeBron James of basketball lives inside of me, right? And I just like, I was me, right? And I just like couldn't dunk, couldn't shoot. Like, I mean, I've got, I've got some skills, so, so don't like discount me too far, right? But like, but like, if you just saw me play, you'd be like, dude, you don't have the spirit of basketball of LeBron James. If I was like the spirit of Tiger Woods, right? And I have a couple of jokes I can make, but let's just say like, and I just wasn't good at golf, right? You'd be like, you don't have the spirit of that. But it's weird because I think for us, we, we think we should have the spirit in our life, but there's not a lot of evidence in it. And we wonder and we question. We feel like there should be more power. I feel like there should be more something, but there's not. So then some of us, again, go to the opposite extreme. Make everything the spirit. Everything was the spirit. It's like, eh, maybe. We're oftentimes poor at interpreting what was and what wasn't. And what was interesting was that Jesus talked specifically about this. And what I find is if ever there's an area where I feel like there's a difference between what I would expect and what I would experience. What I would expect to be true if the Spirit was living inside of me and what I have experienced in my life. That the Spirit should be and ought to be more powerful in my life. It seems like there's almost always something that I don't understand. And today I'm hoping that that is the case. Now Jesus, post-resurrection, rose from the dead, came back over a period of 40 days a bunch of different times to his followers. And in Matthew 28, Matthew documents one of the last times that Jesus um, gave a commandment, what we would say the Great Commission. And in it, he talks about the influence of the Spirit. So this is what happens. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. So they're in a place Jesus told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And I love how it says that. The positive says, okay, so they saw him, they saw the resurrected Jesus, but they were so convinced that there wasn't going to be a resurrection that though they saw him, though they acknowledged him, and though he had showed up multiple times, some were just like, ah, I'm really not sure. Now, this is the type of thing that you don't include in the Bible. In fact, this is why I love the Bible, because he's sitting there talking and saying, hey, Jesus is about to give a massive commandment, but the massive commandment does not mean that there is a lack of of doubt in the room, just like today. Some of you, there is no doubt, and you are clear, and you are convinced. Some of you, you're just wrestling with it. And so into this tension of belief and doubt, Jesus speaks these words. This is what he says. When they saw him, they worshiped him. Some doubted, and Jesus came and said to them, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is going to be important in a second. He says, before I give you what I want you to do, let me give you a qualifier. I have all power and all authority, and that's going to be important because I want you to go therefore. So because I have all power, because I have all authority, go and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. He says, so this is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to do. I want you to take this message of mine, of the dead and resurrected Jesus, and I want you to be my witnesses all over planet Earth. I want you to not just help people who know me come to know me better through a process of discipleship, which is how we think about making disciples. It's from belief to maturity. He says, no, I want you to take people who have no belief to come to the conclusion that Jesus is, in fact, the resurrected Savior. And then I want you to go from unbelief to belief and belief to maturity, teaching them everything that I have taught you. Now, at this point, I wish Peter would have spoken up. I think he's learned his lesson at this point. He put, he put his foot in the mouth, his mouth enough. But I wish Peter would have spoken up and said, um, Jesus, are you sure you want us to do that? Like, are you sure you want us to do that? Because Jesus, um, I don't know if you know this or not, but people aren't really happy with you right now. Like, they, Jesus, they killed you, right? And Jesus, I don't know if you know this or not, but you remember, I mean, Virtually every single time you told us to do anything in ministry, virtually every single time we failed, right? Remember Jesus, the whole feeding people, and we said, where are they going to get stuff? And he said, you feed them. And they said, what? And Jesus said, come here, come here, come here, right? What about the time when perhaps Jesus, um, uh, Peter, you called him to walk on the water, and he just went, blah, 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 right? Like Jesus, man, they just like failed over and over and over. And I'm telling you, this is crazy. Like we view the Bible through the lens of what we know now, but you got to put yourself, have the empathy to put yourself in their shoes. They have no ministry experience, and the stuff they do, they almost, they almost always failed out up to this point. Number two, they had the opposition of the institution of Judaism, which is a very strong, powerful player where they were. And not only that, but they were against the entire empire of Rome. And so I feel like Peter just should have stood up and said, Jesus, are you sure? Us against Rome, us against the Jews, and Jesus, you were there. You remember what you remember when I sank? Like, I'm not trying to call myself out, but Jesus, come on. This doesn't even make sense. If they would have maybe known a little bit farther, they could have said something along the lines of Jesus. What about when we have the internet? Like that'd be a lot easier, right? Because right now that means somebody has to get on a donkey and go to the ends of the earth. Like, can we wait till a car comes around? Perhaps a Tesla. You know, like, Jesus, what about when Snapchat comes around? We can just like snap it like gospel to the ends of the earth. It's like you got eight followers and friends. But, you know, or Jesus, you know, what, what about TikTok? And Jesus would probably say, I don't even know what that is. No, he, we would. He's Jesus. But, you know, what about, we could just post this, do this little thing, do this little dance and like shimmy, right? And everybody be like, oh my gosh, Jesus to the nations. I'm telling you, into a group, and it's hard to emphasize this enough, into a group of doubters, skeptics, and believers. Jesus said, against against Rome, against the Jewish institution, and in fact, against the fact that you have no ministry experience and the little experience you have is failure. I want you to take this, get on your donkey, or walk to the ends of the earth and tell people about me. I mean, how overwhelming would that be? But what he says next is so important. And frankly, it's the entire difference maker. He says this. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. I am with you always to the very end 
of the age. Now, this was what that always meant. It meant I am with you wholly every day. Like, I am completely with you every single day. And here's what Jesus' point was. This task is impossible unless I have all power and I have all authority and I am with you. I have all power and I have all authority and I am with you. Let me just cut to the chase and the heart of this whole sermon. In our day and age, we connect spirit and the spirit of God more often than we should with musical worship. But the spirit of God was always moving as the people of God were moving towards the mission of God. And musical worship is great. So don't don't hear me saying that that's not awesome. Because a lot of times that's our prayers to God, right? We're singing those prayers to God and music informs kind of like the, the emotion behind that. And that does get emotional. It is a positive thing. It is an incredible thing. It is a powerful thing. It's a biblical thing, right? And so we are saying these prayers to God and then we're, we're, we're at the same time singing them and at the same time there's you know, sound and there's things that are coming out and it's just a way that God has wired us that it just moves us. And it just, it always is that way. It's not specific even to Christianity. It's like, if you ever watched a movie without a soundtrack, right? It'd just be like real weird. It's like, oh, yep, they just kissed. That was really unexciting, you know? Until you watch Little Mermaid and it's like, sha-la-la-la-la-la, you know? And then you're like, don't be shy. Anyways, <clears throat> you get what I'm saying, right? Like it informs that, but isn't this true? We will go to churches and think about churches in their level of spirit-filledness directly proportionate to their level of interaction in musical worship. Pretty sure that the Bible clearly says this fruit of the Spirit in indwelling in, in the believer's life is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And it's interesting because even then, even then, we basically take it to either the musical abilities or the interactions or the level of engagement, or we take it to our personal holiness. But I'm telling you, in the book of Acts, it could not be more clear. The Spirit of God moved as the people of God moved into the mission of God. And Jesus says, I know this is an impossible task. I get that. But I will be with you. I will be living through you. I will be with you always, continually, every single day. My presence will be a part of your life, moving into this mission. And I know that this task is impossible. Unless I have all power and authority, and I am with you. You want more of the Spirit of God? Simple. You live into the mission of God. You don't try harder and close your eyes harder and open your hands more. It's great. Acts 1, the ascension happens. There's this beautiful thing that happens. Acts chapter 1, at verse 3, so uh, Jesus, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. Why? Because they didn't believe it because of the fact that he died. Again, it's the evidence of the resurrection. Appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. It's like, why do you have to appear 40 days? Because they really, really, really didn't believe. He's like, see it again, see it again, see it again. Verse 4, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise, the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So verse 6, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? They're saying, Jesus, we know how this new covenant thing is going to work out, where the new covenant is established, and part of that is restoring Israel to its place of, of prominence. But here's what Jesus says. He said to them, doesn't answer the question, 
It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, the city, Judea, the slightly larger place, Samaria, the next place, and to the ends of the earth. He says, here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. My Father, you don't need to know about when it's going to happen or what's going to happen. Here's what you do need to know. The Spirit's going to come down. And it's going to empower you to be my witnesses. In fact, it says it this way. It's, it's not as a command. It's as a cause and effect. In other words, as the Spirit comes down, you will be my witnesses. You will. That is the natural flow of the presence of the Spirit of God. Not that you have an option, but that you have to try to not do that. And I think this is so important. Because we read a verse like John 16 that was on the screen in the intro video where it says, Jesus says, you know, it's better for you. It's better for you if I go so that the Spirit will come down. We're like, but is it really? Because Jesus, I got some good questions for you. I got some, some, some wonders, some doubts, some things I'd like to ask. Jesus said, no, 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 no. Here's what you don't understand. As you live out this mission, as you have the Spirit living inside of you, you will be compelled to be my witnesses. In other words, I'd say I'd reframe it this way. The reason most of us don't experience the power of the Spirit is because many of us don't live into the mission of God. In other words, we don't need the Spirit of God to exist in everyday life. Like we need the, the generalized grace of God and the presence of God, and the power of God. But how many of us, it's like, man, we live in such a way, like, Jesus, I really need you to come through with this. I really need you to do something. I really need you to move God. I'm living for you. I'm pushing for you. I want people to know you. And I need your spirit to work in this relationship, in this friendship. He says, so the spirit's going to come down you're going to be my witnesses. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taking up from you, from you into heaven will come in in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. I feel, like if, I feel like if I was there and they were like, so why are you looking into heaven? I'm like, because we just saw Jesus go into heaven. Like, like you can give me like a second to process this, right? Like, like so, is that a balloon or is that Jesus up there? I'm trying to figure it out, right? He goes into a cloud and I'm just, it's a little bit confusing. He gets taken up, you know, and he, they're like, hey, why are you looking up there? It's like, bro, why? Like, here's a better question. Why wouldn't I be looking up there right now, right? But then he says, hey, he says, He's going to come back. He's going to come back. But right now, your thing is to obey. And so that's what they did. They returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And so they decided to go to where Jesus had told them to go. Now, I'm, I'm telling you, this is the thing. This is the thing that when the Holy Spirit came down, it set the early church on fire. It absolutely set it on fire. That the mission of God became accomplished by the people of God. And you can see it throughout. Acts chapter 2. 
Holy Spirit comes down. Pentecost happens. All of a sudden, they're speaking in different languages. It's this jumbled mess. One of my favorite parts of the Bible, where I, again, I love the Bible because the Bible is so honest. It's so just raw and real because they're all talking in this mess. And we would think, oh my gosh, it's this incredible spiritual moment. But the Bible says, yeah, and there was one dude that was there that was like, it's nine in the morning and they're drunk. <laughs> in other words, you got the skeptic in the background like, that's not the Spirit. That's called being hammered right now, right? Because they saw and there was this mess. And then Peter, right? Peter stands up and Peter gives this incredible sermon that basically says he's Messiah, he's Lord, here's how the Old Testament talked about it, and here's how we killed him. Now, I want you to, you know, basically you killed him. It says that they were were pierced to the core, they didn't know what to do because Peter didn't know you should give an application at the end of every good sermon. So they said, what do we do? He's like, ah, repent and be baptized. That was his sermon. And like that, thousands of people became followers of Jesus. Peter, who denied Jesus to a middle school girl, stood in front of thousands of people, gave a sermon, and all of a sudden, day one, they had a mega church on their hand with literally no church experience. Only following Jesus and not feeding 5,000 or 4,000 or staying afloat in water. But it was the Spirit that as they moved into this mission, again, this was the thing. I'm telling you, this was the thing. We want more of the Spirit in our life. We want more clarity in our life. We want to see God moving, God's power in our life. We need to live in such a way that we're actually moving towards the mission of God. This is what happened Acts chapter 4, right? So the apostles, um, the early disciples, they were... They were just starting to face some hostility, and they were just called to give an account, and they just realized, man, we're going to really need some, like, like we're, we, need to, we need to be bold. And you, you know you, you're really praying for this when you just did something incredibly bold, and you're like, yeah, but pray for us about boldness, right? This is like, this is like when you just did something crazy, and you're like, hey, would you guys pray for me that I can do some crazy stuff? It's like, you just did that, right? But here's their concern. And so this is Acts chapter four, verse 31. And, they, and after they prayed, they prayed for boldness. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And look what happened. Not just filled with the Holy Spirit, like, oh my gosh, I'm a, I'm a better person now. Filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. They were filled with the Spirit to go speak the word of God. Acts chapter seven. Uh, um, Stephen. Stephen is one of the is, is is the first person that we see as he's killed for his faith. And Acts chapter seven, he's arrested. He's brought in front of a bunch of Jewish, you know, kind of leaders and whatnot. As he's brought in front of the 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 place, he gives this entire sermon. And his entire sermon again was very condemning. He basically could summarize it by saying, uh, "We're going to get this to, to to this in about six weeks." But you could summarize it by saying, um, "Jews, every prophet, your people hated and killed. You did it again." That was his sermon, which didn't make them happy. So Acts chapter 7, verse 55, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God in Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And then he told him that, and then he was killed. It was this boldness in the moment. Here's my fear. Here's my fear. It's that... We have a resurrected Jesus, but the current way that we do church is set up to where you don't have to live in the power of the Spirit because most people's version and vision of living missionally is just simply inviting them to a place where the gospel's talked about. That's good. That's fine. That's great. That's awesome. Hope you continue to do that. But you have the power. 
of the resurrected Savior living inside of you, and you want to feel more of that power, live into the mission. That person at work that you know that you need to invest in a relationship with, invest in that relationship with. That person that you know that's in your family that's hurting, talk to them. That person that you know that's that's your roommate or your classmate or your teammate or your workmate, like whoever it is, that you would be willing to have spiritual conversations in secular environments to live and move into the mission of God. Let me tell you, you have the power of the resurrected Jesus living inside of you. And it's not just about this mystical, magical moment that happens in worship as people raise their hand. Is that great? Of course that's great. But you want more of the Spirit, biblically? You live more into the mission. And the Spirit of God will move and work in and through you. Come on, if you're in here and you're, you're kind of skeptical about faith and Jesus and Bible and Christianity, and so far this whole thing is a little bit crazy to you, isn't this true? That perhaps if you saw Christians who they claim they believe in heaven and hell, but they live like today is the only thing that matters. Isn't it true that if you saw this actual evidence in their life, you'd probably rethink Jesus, Christianity, God, in the Bible. Because the Spirit of God moves as the people of God move through the mission of God. And Jesus, Jesus was so clear. He said, so I have to ascend so that the Spirit could come down. St. Um, Augustine said it this way. He's putting himself as if he's the people who are watching the ascension. He says, you ascended before our eyes and we turned back grieving only to find you in our heart." And if you have that God living inside of you, you have the ability to move into the mission. So let me ask you this. How engaged in the mission of the kingdom of God are you? If you're a Jesus follower, how prevalent is that in your life? How much at the forefront does that drive what we say and what we do and who we interact with and how we invest in people around us? Loving the broken, the hurt, the needy, the poor, the marginalized, the friends. After um, the 915 service, I was talking to a couple friends, and they're like, hey, can you give us some more like, concrete examples of it? Like, 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 so what should I do with this? And the reason I, I, don't, I intentionally don't give a ton of examples about this is I think we can hash that out. It's more of a class than it is like a, here's 15 minutes and a couple good tips. But what I'd say is this. It's that the first thing is simply to have the awareness to say, am I currently investing and invested in the mission of God? Is that the spirit of God is working through me as I'm I'm looking with eyes to the mission of God? Because awareness that there is a problem is the first step towards remedying that problem. You will see so many more opportunities when you see through the eyes of mission as opposed to the mundaneness of normalcy of life. You just will. And beyond that, (laughs) it is so contingent on how God speaks to you in those moments where you know that you have an opportunity to say something, to give a little nugget of hope or a thought of truth. And that's so personality-driven. Some of you mean you are, you're the person who you walk up to a stranger 
and you just have a conversation and like you kill that and that's awesome for you. I feel so weird doing that. And it's not just about me feeling weird. I just don't feel like I'm terribly effective. Are you the person who like, you're, you're awesome at this. You're at a restaurant and there's like a waiter or a waitress that comes up to you and they're saying, you know, hey, can I get you anything? You're like, can I pray for you? Right? If I do that, I'm like, they're going to feel like I'm, you know, they're going to be like, who is this guy, right? But there's some of you, man, you say that with such empathy that they're like, I feel cared for and loved. And that's awesome. For me, I love, I love, I love, I love, I love asking questions. I am obsessed with asking questions. Because I can't know how to speak truth into your life until I know what truth you think about. It's hard for me to present the gospel in a way that's actually empathetic and and helpful to you. um, Because if you have, if you've experienced church hurt, that's much different than you just have some some ideological kind of disagreements. It's different than the fact that perhaps um, you've been presented with a version of Christianity that gave you a total aversion to faith. You've been hurt, you've been de-churched, deconstructed, or no faith at all. Totally different spectrums. I want to ask every question I can. But because before I can answer your questions, I have to question your answers. And not in an investigative way, but I just want to know. What do you think? What do you believe? What's your biggest hurdle to faith? Here's my point. It is different for every single person based on your personality. Some of you, you are so hospitable. There's a couple people in our church where I'm like, <clears throat> if they meet this person, they're probably getting saved, right? Because they're just like, they're like, oh my gosh, it's so good to meet you. You're awesome. You're cool. You're the best. Hey, come to my house. Share with my life. You want to know my bank account and routing number, right? They're just, I'm just like, whoa, like <laughs> Jesus rose from the dead, but he's not raising that account number, right? So like, <clears throat> but you, you kill that. Here's my point. Here's my point. Here's my point. I think all of us universally want to feel more of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, but it is directly proportionate to us engaging in the mission of God. His Spirit already lives and moves and breathes inside of each one of us. The same power that died for us, that covers our sins, that forgave us, and that overcomes death, ascended into heaven. He had to go so that the Holy Spirit can come. The Holy Spirit now resides inside of us, but it moves and engages and grows as our faith grows as we move towards the mission of God. And the fruit of the Spirit, I'm telling you, becomes more prevalent in our lives. So let me end with this question one last time. How engaged are you in the mission of God? I'm praying that he gives you the intellectual honesty to acknowledge where you are and what to do with it, and then the courage to actually do it. Let's pray together. God, there are so many of us gathered today that we want to be engaged. We know we should be engaged. We know we ought to be engaged. But the truth of our life is we aren't. And for many of us, we're lacking. We're lacking what we think. We're lacking what we feel. We're lacking what we feel like should be power that just seems like it's, it's defeat at every turn. But God, the same power that conquered the grave lives inside of me. And it empowers me to go do. And God, I pray I don't know what the strategic hurdles and obstacles are to the mission that we feel a calling towards, but I'm confident that none of us, none of us face the opposition that the early church did. None of us face the empire of Rome and the annihilation they would cause at any uprising. None of us face the Jewish institution and the way that they would persecute and kill but you have given your spirit to us to be your witnesses of your truth. I pray that you would send us, give us eyes to see the opportunity, 
wisdom to see the opportunity, and the courage to do it. That we as a church would experience the power, the awesome and audacious power of you, God, in our lives personally. As we move into the mission that you have given us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them with the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them everything that you've taught us, that we would be your witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And as we engage in your mission, we simply pray that we would experience your spirit in ways that we never have before. Would you give us the wisdom to be honest with ourselves and the courage to act on it? And it's in your name we pray. Amen.